Back to the show. Uh, on this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Matt Comment, and uh, he is the guy that's really um, helped me become a good shooter, as much as he likes to bust my balls, and uh, really taught me a lot about shooting and getting rifles set up and, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, we're going to do a little series where uh, we talk about, on well, this episode, we're going to talk about getting a rifle set up, like even if you go just buy... Uh, a middle-of-the-road rifle, how to make it as accurate as possible, um, and what you need to do to figure that out. So Matt's going to walk through the steps of that, um, and I'm going to ask him some questions about it. And then we're going to do, probably in a couple episodes from now, we're going to do a follow-up on developing yourself as a shooter, like developing your skills and, and getting better as an actual shot. So um, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here's Matt Comment. Comment and I are sitting here. We just got, got done training. Matt got Matt got done training. I was I was coaching, um, and we talked. I don't know if everybody knows this, but Matt is the reason that I'm a decent shot. Quite honestly, because uh, that's saying a little much. I'm a pretty good shot. I'm a better shot than most folks. <laughs> I'll say that uh, because you know, growing up, it was. I've been thinking about this because when we said we we're going to do this podcast. I went back to thinking about like how I learned to shoot and what happened and, and how it even happened with hunting. It was like a few days before Thanksgiving or and then sometimes just the day of Thanksgiving, we would go out to the rifle range to Blue Rock. It's called Blue Rock uh, Sportsman's Club in out past Milroy, Pennsylvania in New Lancaster Valley, Pennsylvania. And we'd go sit on the bench and we'd fucking do the old Pennsylvania hang up a pie plate. And you buy your ammo on the way there, right? Sometimes. Or you just have core locks that are, you know, however many years old. And we'd go and we'd make sure that we were kind of zeroed. I mean, my dad did get into reloading and stuff eventually, but like most of the, but for the, the, the majority of the experiences we'd go, I'd set up my 30, 30 and then eventually my 30 out six. And could you shoot three inches at a hundred yards? Cool. And you shot off the bench and you did that. And then you went and you sat in your tree stand on Monday and you hunted with it. So it's like, at least you went to a range and didn't go to your hunting spot. And put like a pie plate out. Sure. And just let them fly and hope you hit the pie plate and say, all right, we're ready. Exactly. I mean, we did at least do that. And then we, I mean, we shot a little bit more than that sometimes, but that was most of the time. And then, um, so I learned like the basics of like, okay, here's how you zero a rifle and here's how to try to control your breath and try to do something and, and pull the trigger. But the reality is, you know, over the past few years in, in shooting with you and, and you helping me was what like... I feel confident with both my rifles. If I had to kill an animal at 400 yards right now, I wouldn't think twice about pulling the trigger if, if the conditions were right. So, um, so I owe a lot of my progress as, as a shooter to you. And so, um, we're going to do a little bit of a series, I guess. Right. So we're going to yeah. talk about basic rifle setup and stuff today. And then, um, we'll talk about some shooting tips and stuff after that. So, um, wherever you want to jump in and the stuff we're going to cover. I know you got a whole list of things we're going to work. Yeah. I mean, with. there's a lot of great information out there. Um, a lot of good podcasts, Caleb Wojcik, um, modern day sniper is a great one to listen to a lot of good information, but, um, most of the people that are doing that are using some pretty high end equipment. Right. And that's not just your average hunter. Now you can take, you know, an average, you know, a Tika or something that's not a custom built rifle and get yourself proficient to five or 600 yards. And in my opinion, if you can be, efficient and proficient at five and 600 yards, you can hunt anything pretty much around the globe. Um, it's great to be able to shoot a thousand yards and, you know, 
and I will say that the, the thousand yards out of the box is bullshit. Hmm. Um, Who says that? It's Gunworks. They they build oh, phenomenal okay. guns, and yeah. they can shoot a thousand yards out of the box, but the shooter cannot. So oh, sure, yeah, don't yeah. buy into that. Um, it takes a lot of time and practice and understanding environmental conditions and having the right rifle setup. Sure, um, and you can't kill everything with a Creedmoor. Um, so, <laughs> just gonna get those two things out of the way right now. Um, uh, the 143 ELDX is not the end all be all to everything. So, um, noted. Write that down, folks. Uh, so, anyways. You know, I learned a lot by trial and error, and I've also got to have the opportunity to talk to a lot of great shooters, um, John Pinch being one of them. He's one of the best PRS guys that are out there. Um, Brian Avery, who runs Rock Slide, is a really good shooter. So I've just asked a lot of people that are really good at what they do, a lot of questions, and tried to apply them um, to what I do, you know, and built a lot of custom guns, and, and that's helped me out a lot. But you know, our friend Dustin um, went on a cow elk hunt, yeah. and, and he had what, you know, he had a Tika 308 yep. with a Vortex scope on it, um, and just through some coaching and asking some questions, he was really comfortable at five or 600 yards, so, you know, I think that's what your average guy that might be saving money to go out west, that's the type of rifle he has, and you can get really accurate and really comfortable with that gun if you do the right things. Yeah. Um, you do have to spend a little bit of money. Um, don't have to do cr go crazy, but you can take like a Tika um, and make it really accurate for probably 300 bucks. Um, and basically what you want to do is if your rifle isn't bedded, and what that means is they use like a, a Marine Tech's compound and they put it in there um, where the action sits in the stock. Okay, so that's one of the first things. You want to check and see if your rifle's bedded. If it's not, take it to a gunsmith, it's about 150 bucks bed the rifle and that's going to take any type of moisture anything that could affect the way that stock touches that action because mm. the number one name of the game is you want to be concentric and consistent all the time so that makes the action how it's met to the stock makes it consistent never changes sure so that's about 150 bucks if your gun isn't isn't bedded so you do that uh, most triggers you can adjust um I like my triggers around two pounds or a little bit less, but I would say for an average hunting gun, you want to get it about two and a half pounds. And what that's going to stop is when you pull the trigger, the heavier it is, you're going to start moving the rifle around. So we talk a lot start about Start pulling your shots. Yeah, you yeah. start talking about. So the lighter and less creep, and what creep is, is the travel between the time that you press the trigger and when it actually, the sear engages and the firing pin goes off. So you want to have no creep. Um, the second thing is that I, I personally like is, and a lot of guys don't like them as brakes because they're loud, but what a brake's going to do is going to take the recoil out of the gun, so it's going to take the flinch away, and it's also going to allow you to spot your shots. Yeah. So you're not always going to be hunting with somebody else, and you might need a follow-up shot. Yeah. If you miss on the first shot and you can't see where it went to make a correction, you're not going to hit it the second time. Sure. I mean, you might, but... The chances are very, very slim. Well, that that was a, that that, uh, that buck I shot at the end of rifle season. That was the first time in my life that I shot it with my my six five PRC. That was the first time I'd ever seen, been able to follow my shot and and watch it hit, and and see that I that I made a good shot. That was the first time. Because you knew happened. you knew right away the animals. Yeah, I knew. I was like that. That's a good shot. I saw I saw the hit. I saw how he reacted to the shot, and I was like, he's good. I got him. And most guns that you're hunting with, you know, um, you know that was what eighty yards. 70. 70. So that's pretty good. Um, and you were you were you weren't laying down prone. You were offhand. No, I was prone. Oh, you were prone. Okay. Prone. So that's really good. Yeah. I would say most calibers that people hunt with, 200 yards ish is going to be the minimum where you're going to be able to spot your shots. 
Uh, you'll be able to follow up quicker at 100, but there's still going to be some jump. And it also depends on the, the way your stock's designed. Sure. So on my PRC, I have that negative cone stock. Right. And the reason I did that is because when the gun comes back, it comes back straight instead of your muzzle rise. Instead of jumping, yeah. And that's what the brake also does, is take the muzzle rise and the flip out of the gun. So it keeps it more level so you can launch your shot. Yeah, super cool. Um, bipods. Um, so, so we got what we do. We start with action. Action's bedded. Then what's the? Then we're Justin Trigger. Justin Trigger. Um, getting you a break on there, and then um, last thing is you got to be stable when you shoot. So Harris bipod's been around forever. Those are one you screw on your sling swivel. Lots of guys use them, um, and they're okay. They're heavy, and they don't adjust as well, and they have a tendency to rip out your sling yeah, swivel. I can say I personally did not have a good experience with Harris bipods. Uh, I bought two of them and just like I honestly threw them away. They were junk. I, I for they I don't know. They kind of were stable, but they weren't. I had to put a lot of pressure like. It, like counter pressure into my gun like pushing into the buttstock to make sure that it was stable enough where I felt comfortable to shoot without any kind of wobble or anything like that so they weren't super stable and then it's just like they jump all over the place and they tear the shit out of your your uh, swivel your swivel buckle button whatever the fuck you're supposed to call it but yeah I, I was not happy with those so what I recommend guys doing there's two there's two ways to do it um, Spartan Precision makes a really good setup where you, they have an attachment that screws this sling swivel it's good to pull the swing swivel out and put some anti-seize or Loctite on it sure. so it stays in there good. And they have a nice bipod setup. Um, it's not as easy to adjust, but it's super lightweight, um, and it works really, really well. What I prefer is what's called an Atlas. Um, there's lots of different – there's probably four or five different man manufacturers that make um, bipods that attach via Picatinny rail. So if your gun doesn't have a Picatinny rail, your gunsmith's going to take it apart to bed it anyways. Yeah. Spend 50 bucks, get a Picatinny rail, have them mounted to your gun, and then you can use a bipod that attaches via Picatinny rail, and it's super, super stable, really adjustable. I think my Atlas only weighs like 10 or 11 ounces, so not a big deal. comes on. I, I don't carry it on my gun. Like if I'm backpacking, I throw it in my pack and then put it on um, when I'm getting ready to shoot. So those are the investments that, you would, that I recommend to everybody making to get your gun ready to be as accurate as it yeah, possibly and this isn't, can. And just, this isn't like sitting in a tree stand for whitetails where you're gonna be shooting Correct. 40 yards. Like Correct. if you're gonna go, if you wanna go hunt out west, which everybody that listens to this wants to do, um, this is this is for that situation. So if you're, you're sitting back like, well, I've shot 37 deer out of my fucking tree stand and hadn't had to worry, it's like, that's, this isn't what we're trying to do here, you know what I mean? I can tell you a story about that. Well, we'll, we'll digress for a little bit here. So I was in the Northwest Territories. Yeah. A dull sheep hunt, very expensive hunt. Guy from North Dakota showed up. And this is a mountain hunt, extreme weather, very rugged. Yeah, brutal. Showed up with blue jeans, <laughs> um, a pair of like Cabela's hiking boots, a sweatshirt, and frog togs. They took him out? Yeah. Because that's what he said. Well, I use this in North Dakota all the time. There's no way. So, anyways. Um, well, what happened? No, you got to. Oh, he didn't get, he didn't get rammed. But did he even get to hunt that much? Or like using. You know, I never followed up with the outfitter. Because, um, I, I mean, I felt bad for the guy and I felt bad for the outfitter because it's not a good situation. Oh, for, yeah, what for, do you, you could get him either, killed. Either person. Um, yeah. But, so if you go on a sheep pump, don't bring frog pumps. <laughs> Shit. Jesus Christ. Um, 
so anyway, so that's kind of the basic rifle setup. Um, there's a few other things you could do, but I think you can get your gun really accurate doing that way. Uh, next thing we'll talk about is scopes. So if you have a budget, and your budget is 1500 bucks For a total rifle setup? Total rifle setup. Okay. Spend $500 on the gun and $1,000 on the scope. Okay. Good optics make the difference in everything. You need something that's has that can hold zero because you're going to travel. Um, and if you're dialing turrets, it has to be track. has to be track and has to be repeatable. Um, I think really think the minimum you could probably spend on on a scope like that is probably somewhere in the fifteen to eighteen hundred dollar range, but you can get some really nice scopes that have the lines in them, and we can talk about how to set that up that you don't have to dial turrets that have oh, like holdovers for holdovers, when it's yeah. exactly um, that have holdovers for elevations that you can figure out how that works. Yeah. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, you usually spend, you know, rule of thumb is twice as much money on your scope as you do on your gun. So lots of good options out there. Um, I use Night Force personally, which aren't the cheapest things in the world, but I've traveled everywhere with them. Um, you know, the military uses the heck out of them. Like they, they are not going to break. They're not going to break. They're going to hold zero no matter what you do, no matter what TSA does to your bags or if you drive over with your truck or whatever, it will work, period. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you're taking a lot of time you've spent you know a whole year training like you know the difference between saving 500 bucks or 700 bucks on a scope and losing your hunt it's not worth it to me some people it is yeah but um some yeah. folks can't swing it you know and that's fine you know but uh that's cool too i mean i have i have loophole scopes on both of my rifles and yeah and they've I, been good too they've been great they've worked just fine i mean one was vx6 is probably I think that's a fifteen hundred dollars scope, and then my uh, VX five was about a thousand dollars. So, and they've both, I mean, just shot, just shot the other the the VX five at, I mean, five hundred yards. We rarely haven't stretched it out that much yet, but I mean, when we first started shooting at my uh, Barrett, we shot that to seven or hundred, seven or eight hundred yards mm -hmm. with a my twelve power VX six. So, you know, you can get it done with. You don't have to have a night force. It's nice Correct. if you have one, but you don't have to have it. It's one. like an insurance policy. Sure. But you did have trouble with uh, return to zero, though, with your with your one loophole, right? It, well, I think that was the boat. What do you mean tracking? I've never had a problem with tracking. Not tracking, but, but let your zero change. When I, well, that was on the boat in up on the Sag River, which is shallow and jumpy, and you're going through, and which I think, which isn't good, and I'll say that it would be nice if it wouldn't have mattered. But um, typically, when we're in the jet boats, we don't we don't uh, strap our rifles down. But we needed space, so we strapped the rifles down to like our dry box on top, and that was a lot of vibration, a ton, a ton, a ton of vibration. That's a good thing to talk about because most people think like, oh, I dropped my scope and it's going to be off. It's it's the really ton of small vibration is what's harder on an optic than a big like like a drop, big drop. Yeah. And that's and that's what I think what did it because typically we have them just stashed on the side of the boat so they'll they'll bounce a little bit but it's not like a, a real fast vibration over I mean and we're in those we're, you're in the boats for when we were going back in we were in the boat for forty five minutes so it's like that's a lot of vibration a lot so um, and that's why I always recommend a hundred yard zero. Because a lot of times when you travel or even at the home range, people don't have 
the ability to shoot further than 100 yards. So with environmental conditions, you can go out and check your gun at 100 if you have a 200-yard zero, and it might look like it was at home, but it's going to be different. Sure. And you have no way to prove that. Yep. So always zero your um, rifles at 100 yards. Um, people used to, I used to zero mine at 200 when we didn't have ability to gauge MOA. We didn't have ability to dial. Well, I think that's also and too because, yeah, because guys, you think about uh, um, what's your point blank range. Like in yep. you, if you have a 200-yard zero, you can hold it. You can you hold know, and, shoot to, and shoot and, it. And, and shoot to 350. Yeah, yeah. And, and technology, you know, fortunately, we don't have to do that anymore. Sure. So um, go with a 100-yard zero. Um, scopes, when you get your scope mounted – you have to make sure the crosshairs are level. Um, yep. There's tons of ways to, to do that with a plumb bob and you know a basic leveling kit that you can get from like Midway USA. Um, but you that's, got got can, that's what we well let's talk about when we just put my last scope on. So well you did the basics and then I we did, fine yeah. tuned it. So. so I did. I just had had it settled in, made sure that it was settled in tight. The rifle was settled in tight and embraced, and then level on the action to make sure that the the gun was level, and then level on the scope. And then made sure that they both aligned, and then made sure. I think this is something too that, especially if you're if you're setting up your your first scope, is getting a torque wrench so everything's tight to spec. Because if it's not tight to spec, that's that's another variable that could change. So making sure things are tight in the spec, and knowing what the specs are for the the screws and for the the uh, the rings that you have. Yeah, and so uh, the the next step past that is. Um, we got a plumb bob, which you can get from Home Depot or Lowe's or support your local business. Go to True Value Hardware. Yeah, um, if you have one. Yeah, if you have one. And if you don't know what a plumb bob is, it's basically a weight that you tie a string to and you hang it off something. And it's completely level, vertically. Um, so then you put your, put your rifle down, make sure everything's level, get your levels back out. And you look through the scope and you align the vertical crosshair up with the string. So action's level, scope's level, reticle's now level with the string, and it's 100% level. Yep. So what that avoids, if, you're, if your scope is off, at 100 yards, you're not going to be able to tell the, distance, the, the difference. But when you get to four or five, 600 yards, if it's canted left or right, that's the way the bolt's going to go. So you got to make sure your setup's level if you're going to be shooting at a further distance. You know what we got to talk about before we move on from this? Maybe you have it written down, I don't know. Is... Uh setting up your eye relief too and how to figure out how to do that for, for when you're mounting your scope um well you talk about your way and i'll talk about mine well let's talk about your way i just <laughs> i honestly just laid down and made sure because i knew uh mostly with that rifle uh i'm gonna be shooting prone so i laid down and like looked through it and like okay so where do i have the full vision of the scope in this position and then just made sure as I kept everything level, I slid the scope back and forth. In yeah, the, that's the right way to do it. Yeah, in the, uh, But you want to check it because um, you're not always going to shoot prone, so you want to make sure it works Sure. Yeah. for multiple positions. Right. But that was the original way that I set it up. So Yeah. But, yeah. There's no other crazy way to do it. That's, yeah, it's not rocket surgery. Pretty simple. Rocket surgery? Rocket surgery. It's not rocket surgery. You're a rock scientist? What's the next thing you want to talk about, Matt? Um... Oh, uh, last thing is, is you need to get some type of level um, for your gun. If you're using a Picatinny rail, you can mount a level to the Picatinny rail. Um, and this is for field use, or there's a ton of manufacturers, Hawkins, Tally, Night Force. Um, on their rings, they have a cap 
um, that has a bubble level on it. So everybody thinks, well, I can lay down. I can, the crosshairs are level. Mm. Maybe. So same principle applies. If your crosshairs aren't level in the field, you don't have a bubble level to tell you that your gun's level, you're going to shoot left or right sure. of your target. So you want to make sure you get a level um, on your gun for field use. And there's some flip-up stuff. Um, I forget what the name of the company is. They run them on my wind mag. Um, but there's ones that you can mount to the scope tube that flip out um, if you don't have a pick rail or you don't have or your rings don't have a, um, the ability to put a bubble level on the, on the cap. So the next thing is ammo. Um, I'll go three choices. Obviously, hand loads are the best. If you can hand load or if you can get somebody to hand load for your gun, that's going to be the most accurate. Um, which components or everything's impossible to find right now. But It's pretty tough. Second option, which I've recommended to a lot of guys, and I've shot this company, is ammo myself, and it's very, very, very good. In my opinion, it's the best that you can buy out there. There's a company called um, Unknown Munitions. They're in Idaho. He is meticulous, um, has tons of bullet different um, tons of different bullet options um, that you can get. He loads for a bunch of different rounds, most of the common stuff out there. And it, it, it's as good as hand loads, um, almost as good as hand loads, and, you know, because you're not customizing for a particular rifle, but his numbers are really good. Everything works. Um, he has a reloading service that you can get with him. So that's, that's option number two. Um, Dustin used them. Yeah, and they shot great out of his rifle. They shot, they shot good out of my wind mag. I know guys that shoot them out of their PRCs. Like, love the company. So that's option number two. Option number three is your your factory ammunition, um, which maybe can shoot good. Um, and if it does, go back to the store that you bought it from and buy all of it. Which you can't right now. <laughs> pull and pull the box. Look at the lot number. Look at the lot number on the box and go find as many with the same number on it as you humanly can. Because their variability, because they're loading so much ammo, is going to change. So when you buy a different box, it's going to be different. Sure. Might not be that much, but it's going to be different. The velocity is going to be different. The ES or SDs are going to be different. It might shoot different point of impact. So go buy as many as you can. But what I recommend, and unknown for what he sells and charges, it's very, very reasonable. Um, you know, the ammunition, like, you can take a, a factory gun and, and get it to shoot a quarter inch if you have the right combination. Sure. So, you know, if you're going to spend money buying good ammo, um, it is one, one of the areas you want to do. Uh, so we covered rifle, ammo, scope. So now you got your gun set up, um, and and if you if you're buying ammunition, you want to try a couple different bullet types because mm -hmm. every gun is going to like a different bullet and a different powder combination a little bit different. Absolutely. So you can test it. Well, you said you wanted to walk through ES and SD and all that kind of stuff too, don't you? Yeah, I want to get into that. And be, oh, is that later? Okay, before that, and before and like, there's a lot of guys that I've talked to. They're like, my gun just doesn't shoot. You know, I've I've had it for a few years. You have to get the copper out of your gun. You have to clean it right. Um, so my recommendation for a Magnum rifle is 20 rounds, clean it. Every 100 rounds, clean the copper out of it. Um, and the methodology that I've been doing for 10 years, you can find it on Jim Borden on his website. Um, he builds amazing actions. He's a Ventress Hall of Fame shooter. Like I know the guy personally, Like been doing it for... 30 years knows what he's doing so just go on to his website board and accuracy 
he has some articles that he wrote for hunting fool and a couple other things and he, he breaks down how to clean a rifle it's super simple you use the process yeah i used it last weekend and for the first time we yeah. were done in you know 20 minutes yeah it doesn't take long and it was clean clean it was so if it's not a magnum gun you can push it a little bit further um it's just going to make it harder to clean um and, and lots of guys go either way like you shouldn't clean your gun you should clean your gun i follow what like bench rest shooters are much different than like a hunter or a prs type guy but they are after extreme accuracy you're trying to put 10 shots in the smallest group that you can at a thousand yards and these guys are shooting two inch groups for 10 shots a thousand yards and they clean their guns in between matches and it might look like a, you know an engine block with a barrel sticking out of the end of it like doesn't even look like a gun half the time sure yeah but they clean their guns so if those guys clean their guns i clean my guns because they i mean they've been shooting you know williamsport pennsylvania they've been shooting a thousand yards since the 50s they've been lobbing 30 out sixes out of 364s before we were even born so so yeah you know there's a ton of stuff out there that you know advancements and technology and, and everything but i trust the people that have been doing it for as long as i've been alive yeah. um, so that's what i do yeah um and what that do that's going to make your gun more accurate um and you're going to know that it's going to be consistent so make sure you have it clean before you got to the range after you get everything set up last piece of information so now we're at the data collection point so we got our gun set up um, and we'll go into shooting mechanics later but so data collection you need some type of device to get the data from your gun and what you're looking for is your average velocity your extreme spread and your standard deviation so what i use is, is a magneto speed sporter it's like 150 bucks um, they have a couple of different models with bigger screens and, and different things you can do um, but it works well um, lab radar is another one that's like a thousand dollars and i'll be honest with you i think my magneto speed's more accurate um, so once you get your magneto speed and you strap it to your gun we have to figure out those data points because we're going to take those data points and we're going to put, put them into a ballistic solver and that's what's going to tell us what our holdover is what our moa what our mills are the amount we need to dial at distance to hit point of impact okay so um some people say three shot groups some people say five shot groups some people say ten shot groups depending on what the caliber is what your barrel is um you know i, I recommend anywhere from three to five because you want to get an average and that's going to tell you what your average velocity is that's going to tell you what your extreme spread and your standard deviation and you want the extreme spread and the standard deviation to be as small as possible my goal is is always like for extreme spread to be under 15. okay so talk about what extreme spread is so extreme spread is so if you shoot three bullets um and one bullet is going 3,000 feet per second one bullet's going 3,010 feet per second one bullet's going 2950 um, feet per second and so what that's going to do is calculate the difference between the high and low and what that means is vertical impact at distance so the less your extreme spread is the less vertical displacement you're going to have at distance okay. so like you saw with my prc um when we were shooting at 500 yards i had no vertical spread at all. right it was all horizontal all horizontal which is wind so you know that your bullet is going to hit so if you have an extreme spread of 30 or 40 
you're going to have one that impacts really low at distance, one that impacts really high, and maybe one that impacts where you're supposed to be. So the lower your numbers are, the more accurate the rifle is going to be at distance. And velocity, I mean, it does, you have to look and see what your expansion rate is for the bullets that you're using. And that's what's going to dictate how far you can kill an animal. Right. Like Barnes needs a higher velocity because it's a, it's a solid copper bullet. Burgers aren't as sensitive to it. Um, so you have to know what your projectile, what, it, what the expansion, the, the minimum expansion velocity is sure. for your projectile. Yep. Um, so once you get that information, you can, there's tons of apps. You put them on your phone um, or you can buy range finders now that you can plug the information in. Um, you know, Shooter is an app. Applied Ballistics is an app. Um, there's tons of good out there. So once you get your average velocity, um, you don't need your ES or your SD for um, for the app, but you need your average velocity, and then you need your ballistic coefficient of your bullet. And that's just how, how aerodynamic it is. Um, so there's two numbers. There's G1 and G7. The G7 is more accurate. Not every bullet has a G7 um, because this is the way they test it. So if you have a G1, that's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, so you take those two pieces of information, plus you have to be able to measure the middle of your crosshairs to the middle of your bore at your sight height, um, your zero distance, and you plug all that information into a ballistic solver, and it's going to tell you, you know, um, how many inches, how many MOA, how many mils you're either going to have to hold high or dial on your scope to have your point of impact be at whatever distance you're shooting. So once you have all that information in there, it's time to go out and test. Because the chronograph is, is a tool. And everything with a tool, there's variability. Sure. So this is the hardest part for most guys is they don't have a place to shoot far enough. Far enough. Right. If you do, go out and shoot two distances, the farthest as you can. So, you know, call it 600 or 800 yards and 1,000 yards if you can. If you can't, just bring it in the best you can. Shoot your gun, and it's either going to impact where it's supposed to, it's going to be high or going to be low. So there's other solvers that you can do. So once you, you know, figure out, okay, well, it's two inches high at 500, and my velocity says 3,000, it's actually going faster. Faster. So then you plug that into a ballistic solver, and it's going to give you your true velocity. Now your gun is trued. To exactly what the velocity is that it's coming out the barrel. Okay. Um, well, what if let's say a guy only has 300 yards? You're just going to have to go with because 300 is not going to tell you. You're going to have to go with your chronograph. Right. And if you're if you're shooting 500 yards, it's it's probably going to be just fine. Sure. Um, you know, I'm kind of finicky with that stuff. Like I want to know exactly what it is. So um, I like the true mine because I'm fortunate we have the capability and yeah. the range to do that. So. If it's 300 yards, just go with the data that's on the on the chronograph. Okay. Then you'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, because quite honestly, if you're, because we've talked about this, you know, if you you should be able to shoot at the range and feel comfortable a little, I mean, farther than you would shoot at an animal, right? Correct. So for, for confidence building and for knowing that your skill is there and everything like that, because you can account for more things at the range than you can out in the field, for one. And for two, it's like, hey, if you know you can group them at 600 at the range, then 
you can shoot something at 400 and feel pretty confident. So exactly. Are really it's just like archery hunting, you know what I mean? You shoot yeah. to 70 or 80 yards and you, you feel really great at 40. It's no right. different, same principle. Exactly. Super cool. What, uh, what do we need to do to summarize this? What do we... I mean, I, I think the best summary is, you know, with social media and everything out there today, you, you do not have to spend $10,000 to have an accurate gun to go out and hunt at distance. Yeah. You can do it on a budget and you can be very, very, very accurate with it. Yeah. You don't have to have the latest, greatest everything. You can take a rifle that someone gave you, might, you know, hand me down from your father or your grandfather or whatever, and you can make it accurate. Yeah. I think it's uh, the way that I think about it is there's almost like a, uh, there's like a place where the circles overlap between hunting skill and shooting skill. Right. And it's like, well, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that guys that want to shoot far, because I know you love to shoot far, aren't as good of hunters. But what I'm saying is, is like, well, if your gun doesn't shoot 600 yards, you better be like a 300 yard hunter. You right. Know what I mean? You have to, you have to be honest with yourself and know what your limits are. Yeah. Um, I think that that 400 yard range is, is perfect. Yeah. The chances of the animal knowing that you're there are very slim the chances of environmental conditions really affecting your bullet aren't that great. Um, so it's a pretty comfortable distance. If you can, you know, be consistent at 400 and be comfortable at 400, uh, you can kill most anything on this planet. Yeah. Like, like if you can get to 600 yards where you're shooting, you know, a three inch group or less at 600 yards, you can kill anything on this planet. Yeah. Period. There you go. Um, I will tell you that, I mean, I know guys hunt them with a bow, but I think it depends on where you're at. Like pronghorns, man, sometimes you're only getting, you're getting five or 600 yards and then they're out. They're not going to let you get any closer than that. So that's, I it depends on where you're hunting. Like where we hunted them in Wyoming the past couple of years, it's like hunting them on the moon, man. So they, unless you have good topography, sometimes it's like, it's funny that it's like they have a circle in their mind and like you get to 600 and you're like, nope. And then they start moving. So. Being able to shoot that far would be cool and and would be helpful, but and it's doable. I mean, it like is. yourself, you know, we've been shooting together for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, you know, and you've done really well. Uh, cannot shoot me, but maybe yeah. maybe one day. Well, I don't. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, and then we're gonna do we're gonna do another uh, a follow up of this and talk about actually developing some shooting skills and and some techniques and some of the things that that uh, can help guys not only after they get the rifle set up, then actually become a better shooter. So, And if there's anybody listening to this podcast that something that we missed or you had a question on, shoot it to Todd um, and we can talk about it on the next one. Awesome. Thanks, man. You're welcome. There we go. All right.